see. I may, may grab this right here. I may move this. Uh, don't forget, I put somebody's iPad in the floor. That's a horrible idea, but please don't step on it. So listen, very always grateful, always thankful. I get to speak a lot. October's been crazy for me. Um, it's always the busiest month of the year. I feel like in my life, coming through the year, I uh, travel a lot. I have the opportunity to go into a lot of schools, um, a lot of ministries. So uh, the past couple weeks have been pretty crazy. Um, I think last, last week I spoke to 20 schools um, in five days. And then I spoke, uh, I spoke on the weekend. So it's, it's, it's just been, it's been wild. But I'm always excited to be able to come and share at City of Hope. And the crazy thing is, is I could probably stand up in front of 20,000 people, uh, no problem, uh, do it, get through it, and, and move on. But City of Hope has something special for my heart because I feel like it's my family. And uh, every time I come, I speak at the Chad's Hope. Chad's Hope has become my family. It's a ministry, but it's a brotherhood, and it, it's my family. And uh, this church has become my family. The people of this church have become my family, and I live with them. I live in the community with them. I live with them every day. I'm in contact with them every day. We're moving forward. So anytime I get the opportunity to stand up in front of my family, it's very special to me. I've been to a lot of funerals within my families, uh, with, with my brothers, my, my grandmother, my, my mother. Different things happen, and uh, sometimes tragedies. And I, I get to speak at these funerals and present the gospel in front of my family. And for me, there's been no greater honor. Uh, to be able to stand in front of my family with the gospel. So I'm very grateful, very thankful uh, to be here. You know, Clay, um, just just amazing pastors of the church. Clay, uh, Jeremy, Matt, Justin, the, the helpers that are here. You know, with Clay, I feel like the Lord's really been using him. See, I trust, I trust Clay. I trust Clay to connect to the Spirit. And I really feel like God has been using him to equip the saints and so I feel like, like when, I'm, when I'm listening to Clay preach, when I'm looking at the pattern of Clay's sermons, I'm not looking at a man that just is going to topics that he feels comfortable to preach or that he feels good with or he studied up on. I'm looking at a man that is led by the Spirit, and I'm looking for how God is using him and what God is speaking to his church through this individual. And like seeing how Clay's sermons has been breaking up, he's been getting into the Spirit. He broke down the Holy Spirit for us, going over the Spirit of God. And then he went into this thing called the secret place, which really was amazing, really impacted my life. And it's really where everything flows from in life. And, and he began to take us through that and break that down. And then he got in to what I would say what the church should reflect and encounter in the current and the coming times. And he has just been used by God to equip us and be putting on a mindset, and, and that was very encouraging to me. And one of the things uh, Clay had mentioned in one of his last sermons was about the, the coming of Jesus Christ, speaking about the end times. But I tell you what, when he spoke that message, and I went back and I began to read through my Bible, like it's like God opened my eyes, and I really began to see the mindset inside of Scripture, inside of the, 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 the prophets, the apostles, inside of the Christians in the time, the mindset that they have, and they live out on a daily basis about the returning of Christ, and how much 
literally it is in like every other chapter, every chapter that you're reading to, they're, they're talking about this hope that they have, this view that they have, that they're awaiting, that something is happening in their life because they have such of a hope for the return of Jesus Christ. And so I, I want to I wanna talk, I want to go over these few scriptures real quick in 1 Peter uh, 1.13. It says, Therefore... Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest on the hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12 says this. It says, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners, as pilgrims, abstain from fleshly, fleshly lusts that war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may be they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God on the day of visitation. Uh, James 5, 7 says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer awaits the precious fruits of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early, early and later latter rain. Listen, you guys are going to have to pray for my tongue tie going on here. Uh, for the early and latter rain. You also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And I thought it was really interesting just going to the New Testament that and Peter and, and, and these verses, it says, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. It says, abstain from fleshly lust. It says, it says, establish your hearts. And all of this communication, all of these things that they're talking about, guarding yourself, building yourself up, abstaining and establishing these things is all connected to the coming and the revelation of Jesus Christ. The hope that they have. The, the, last, the last verse that I want to say is in, in 1 John 3, 2-3. through 3, It says this, dear friends... Now we are children of God, and what we, what we will be has not yet made known, has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in Him purifies themselves just as He is pure. All who have this hope, what hope? What hope? They're talking about the coming of Jesus. And this really impacted me because how prevalent, how real, how tangible it is in the New Testament. And then I look at my life and I look at my communication and I'm looking at my lifestyle and I'm looking at the way that I live. And honestly, don't get me wrong, I absolutely 100% believe in the coming of Jesus. But is this living hope, is this hope so impacted me and effective in my life that it's literally causing things to develop? Is it causing my heart to be established? Is it causing my mind to be guarded? Is it causing me to abstain from fleshly lusts? Is it purifying me because this living hope dwells inside of me for the coming of Jesus Christ? That was powerful to me. When I'm seeing this, when I'm looking at this, and, and what, I'm, what I'm praying and what I'm asking the Lord is, is Jesus Put this hope inside of me. Put it in my mind. Put it in my heart. Don't let it be something that I just agree with. Don't let it be something that I just read in the Bible. Don't let it be something that I just know that it's going to happen one day. But whatever this hope is that these Christians have, whatever this hope is of the coming of Jesus, let it be alive in me. Let it purify me. 
And so I'm very, very grateful, very thankful for Clay and his messages because going through these messages honestly put me in a very place. And like, we went through time change last night. And, and, and what I'll say is a lot of times when I'm seeking the Lord, or the, I have these phases in my life where I can feel a time change coming in my spirit. All of a sudden I'll get broken for no reason whatsoever. Brokenness will just come into my life, into my spirit, and I can feel sensitive to God. And I know, okay, it's, it's time change. God's doing something. I have an opportunity right here to connect with God, to connect to this brokenness inside of my heart. I have an opportunity right now to press in with God for things to begin to change inside of me. And so I had this earnest moment probably the last couple weeks where I began to sit down and I began to evaluate some things with God, reflecting on my priorities, just spending time with the Lord. And, and what happened is God began to show me these things in my life that that I was making common. These things in my life that are holy to God, that are priority to God, and they're common in my life. And so today, what I want to talk about is, is distinguishing what is holy. Distinguishing what is holy. And, and, when God, and when God moves on my heart, and this is the thing, when I'm in the presence of the God, there, there is a distinguishing that begins to take place. I can see certain things in my life uh, that, that need to be more valued, that need to be more prioritized, that need to be sanctified, that need to be set apart. I can, I can see things in my life that, that I need to, to show reverence to, uh, things that need to be changed. And, and usually when I'm in the presence of God or I'm pressing into God and God's moving upon my heart, honestly, like this begins to happen. This process of distinguishing begins to take place in the Spirit. And, and, and when I talk about distinguishing and sanctifying or prioritizing, really one of the things I'm talking about is it's honestly the main function designated to priesthood. It's one of the main functions designated to priesthood. And, and I want to go over this in Scripture. Um, Leviticus 10, 8-11 says, Then the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine intoxicating drink you nor your sons with you when you go into the tabernacle of meetings lest you die it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that you may distinguish between holy and unholy between unclean and clean and that you may teach the children of Israel the statute with the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses Ezekiel 44 23 says this it says they are to teach my people the difference between holy and common and show them how to distinguish between unclean and clean. So when I say that one of the greatest mandates of the, the priesthood is the responsibility to distinguish good from evil. The ability to distinguish good from evil. And if, if you look at the world, and honestly, if you're reading through the Scripture about the times that are ahead and what's happening currently, you see this, this inability for a lot of people to distinguish. They don't know the difference between good and evil. They call evil good and good evil, and there's a, there's a great confusion happening and darkness going on. So when it comes to the priesthood, in the, in the Old Covenant, one of the greatest mandates on the priests was to establish and to teach the people to be able to distinguish what is holy unto God, 
what is separated unto God, the things that are good and the things that are not good. Literally, they were coming to Moses on a daily basis, like trying to discern things that are happening in their families. Oh, my brother took this wife. And, and anytime you see the Pharisees coming to Jesus, it's always with this systematic mathematical equations of what if this person slept with this person and, and then this happened. And then there's always this distinguishing what is holy, what is right, and what is good before the Lord. And as a priesthood, it's one of the greatest mandates. So in the old covenant, you know, that was the mandate of the priest, of Aaron, of the leaders of the priest. And that's what they did. But whenever we come into the new covenant, we became the temple of God. We became a royal priesthood. We became a kingly priesthood. And the Holy Spirit began to live inside of us and give us the discernment, each one of us, the discernment individually to distinguish for himself what is good and what is evil. It's through the mindset that's led by the Spirit that we can distinguish. The Spirit illuminates the inner being. The, you know, in, in Ephesians it says, Enlighten the eyes of my understanding, finding clarity. Finding clarity. And I, I'm going to say, listen, this is not an easy step. I still have people call me on a daily basis that are Christians. And, and there's nothing wrong with seeking counsel, nothing wrong at all. But I have people on a daily basis, majority, they're always coming to me for clarity. They're always coming to me to find the final word in their life. And, and to be honest with you, there does come a point in a season where we as individuals need to learn how to find clarity from God and not always just run to the next person that, that we know that may be wise or may have the Spirit of God. We've got to learn how to hear from God Herself. And, and, and when I say the voice of God, listen, the voice of God is priority to me. Whenever I'm leading the ministry at Chad's Hope, like my number one thing for these guys that I tell them, you know, getting to know the Holy Spirit, the number one goal that I have for them as Christian men is for them to learn and know the voice of God, period. Because I know if they connect to the voice of God, I don't have to stand around with a bottle in my hand ready to put it in their mouth all the time. I know if they connect to the voice of God that the Holy Spirit and God is going to take over and going to begin to lead them in their life and to nurture them and to mature them in their life. So the voice of God is probably, I cannot distinguish without the voice of God. And I, I remember the season in my life whenever I was running around from man to man to man to counsel to counsel to counsel to leader to leader to leader trying to distinguish certain things in my life. And to be honest with you, sometimes I would go to one person that I knew was a man of God and he would tell me something and if I didn't like it, I would go find another man of God. <laughs> so... I, I went through a season that I was always coming to man for every answer that I needed to where he took man out of my life. He began to take all those leaders that I was, I was, I was running to every time. He began to take them out of my life and I was alone. And I had to learn how to rely on him for my answers. How to hear his voice. How to allow his voice to lead my life. And this is such a crucial step. You know, it, it's, so, it's so important to know the voice of God. You know, even as we talk about the last days, the Bible says in the last days many will be deceived. Many will be deceived. There will be a great deception fall upon the face of the earth. And the crazy thing, it goes on to make another statement that says that even if it were possible, the very elect would be deceived. 
That's how great this deception is going to fall on the face of the earth. So when I say that we as Christians must be able to hear the voice of God, because it's only His voice in those times of deception and darkness that is going to be able to give us the distinguishment that we need to follow light and to follow truth. Because if we don't know His voice, if we don't hear His voice in those times, we're going to be running to and fro from person to person to look at people that we think that has the Spirit of God just trying to figure out which way that we should go. And that's not healthy. You know, we, me and my wife were praying through some things this year, and, 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 and it was funny because I trusted this other couple. And to be honest with you, I, you know, I, haven't, I didn't put as much prayer into making certain decisions that I should have put prayer into I just trusted this other couple because I knew that they put the prayer into it they've been seeking the Lord on it so I'm gonna say we're gonna do what they're gonna do <laughs> and, it, and it turned out not being the right decision personally for us because I should have been seeking the Lord for an answer for me you know the the voice of God you know what, what does the Bible say about the voice of God a lot of the times people read this this verse right here and, and it's, to them, it's just the Word of God, the Bible, the canon. But the thing to me, when I read this, this verse right here, to me what it's saying, it's the voice of God. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the Word of God, for me it's the voice of God, because His voice is His Word. The voice of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And now listen, I'm, the Word of God is the Word of God. And yes, you get in the Word of God and it's going to begin to illuminate you. James says it's like the law, you look into it and it's a reflection like a man looking into the mirror that can see himself clearly. It's, it is that. But I'm telling you that sometimes when we're making decisions in our life, sometimes when things are happening inside of our family, sometimes when we're hitting these walls and these crossroads, we can't just open up the Bible and it's going to speak to us. And it's going to tell us what to do. Sometimes we need to hear the Word of God from the Spirit from heaven to be able to give us an answer, a clear answer that divides, that is, that is showing us the division of our soul, that is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Listen, I need that voice in my life. And I'm going to be, if, if I didn't have His voice in my life, I have no idea where I'd be at today. No idea. Because I made specific decisions in my life according to his voice, even when I was a mess. I know I would have made the wrong decisions. But his voice has kept me. See, the carnal mindset makes common the holy things of God. The carnal mindset makes common the holy things of God. Ezekiel twenty-two twenty-six says this, Her priests have violated my law, and profane my holy things. They have not distinguished between holy and unholy, nor have they made known the difference between unclean and clean. They have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths, so I am profaned among them. You know, rest is, is holy unto God. Rest is holy unto God. 
And you know, that was an old covenant, and he is the Sabbath. And I'm not sitting here telling you guys, if you're not sitting at home and not doing anything on the Sabbath, then you're breaking the law. And you're, I'm not saying that. What I am saying, though, is rest is holy unto God. Finding rest in their life, finding rest for our souls, that is holy unto God. Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 29 says this. It says, of how much worse punishment do you suppose... Will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Listen, counting the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulting the Spirit of grace. You know, sometimes we can even take the grace of God as a common thing. Sometimes we can go in this life and we can sin and sin and sin and, just, and we can just take the grace of God as just a common thing. Something that sanctified us. The mercy of God poured out on our life. And we can just go to Him like it's no big deal and just pull the grace card every time we mess up and flaw and just keep going into this common thing. Listen, that gets into some scary things. I'm not trying to take the holy things of God in my life and allow myself to become into a carnal mindset where I take the holy things of God in my life and just make them common and trample on them. Because yes, we are in the New Testament. Yes, we are under a new covenant. But I promise you that they are still holy things unto God. I promise you God still cherishes His people, His sanctuary. That they are things that are still common unto God. I mean, even, even in Hebrews, you see this in the New Testament as well. So what I, what I want to do right now is, is I want to go into three areas that I feel like I continually have to reevaluate three areas of my life that the Lord is continually putting His finger on, that I'm continually having to, to revisit, to make holy, to show reverence to, to prioritize, to change. And I feel like I'm constantly being attacked in these three areas. And, and the number one area that I feel like I'm probably attacked in more than anything in my life is family. The number one area. Family is the greatest testimony we live out and the greatest legacy that we live through. You know, I was, I talk about speaking and blah, 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 and I know that I've said this multiple times before, that this was really powerful to me and a revelation to me in my life about how God values my family, but not only values my family, but wants to work through my family. I was speaking, um, the most I was ever speaking in my life, traveling back and forth every day, uh, you know, radio station, TV stations. I was speaking to, you know, 15, 20 schools a week. I was, I was still executive director at Chad's Hope. I was helping youth pastor here at City of Hope. I was going into the jail ministry every week. I mean, I was just pouring myself out in the ministry because I wanted to see people's life change. I wanted to be fruitful and productive as a Christian. And uh, I, my family was suffering for it. My family was suffering for it pretty bad. And, and I'll never forget that I, I started letting things go in my life. I stopped going to the jail ministry. I, I called the radio show and told them I wasn't doing it anymore. I stepped out of recording and putting on the TV. I stepped, I stepped out of a bunch of things in my life to the point to where I was just at Chad's Hope. And I tell you, when I got to that place, I was so sick of who I was because my identity was wrapped up in ministry. But I'll never forget the Lord speaking to me in the highlight. When I was doing all that stuff and I was traveling, I was going, I was seeing people's lives change. I was seeing kids getting set. I'd be in a gym full of kids speaking and they'd be running out crying and the Holy Spirit be so thick in there. I mean, it was crazy. But the Lord spoke to me right in the middle of all that and said, the greatest fruit that you will ever bear in this life 
will come through your family. That blew the top off of my head. I couldn't even comprehend what he was. I'm just sitting here trying to even see what, what are you saying to me right now? God wants to be fruitful in your life, yes, in ministry, but I promise you that the greatest fruit that we're going to bear in this life is going to come through our family. It's going to come through our family. You know, the family... When, 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 I have, when I have a mindset drift, and when I say that, meaning this, when I'm in a place that I'm starting to get into a little bit of a carnal mindset a little bit, maybe I've been neglecting his presence for a little bit, I can start seeing some selfish, some selfish things start coming out. I would say that busyness and self-indulgence are the two enemies that try to turn my family into a common thing in my life uh, or an unconsecrated group of people. Meaning they're no different. Basically, I'm running. I show up. Hey, how are you? It's almost like they're no different than my work group of people or my this group of people. They're not consecrated. They're not holy to me. They just become a common thing. I'm caught up into myself. I need to go do this, and I need to do this, this, and this. And the Lord has to continually speak to me when I'm in His presence about consecrating my wife, setting her apart. Going home and setting down, even when I'm tired and I want to turn the TV on, or I love getting on and watching some deer killing videos or whatever it is, and I have to sit down with my wife and put these things aside and look at my wife in the face and say, Hey, how'd it go today? What's going on? Just that consecration, making my family holy unto God, making my family holy unto my heart, unto myself, unto my life. I feel like this is one area that God continually, continually visits in my life. And the thing is, it's, it's, our kingly, it's our kingly and priestly duty to lead, to sanctify, and to make holy in our hearts the family that God has blessed us with. That's our priestly and kingly duty. Like that's, and it's not easy. It's not easy. Like, I'm, I'm going to be real with you. Like, look, I, I struggle. I struggle when, when it came to family. And to be honest with you, I put a lot of excuses out there to my wife. Like, when I was, the home that I was raised in, my mother and father slept in two different rooms. I never even seen them sleep in the same bed together. We never sat down at a table and eat together. My mother, you know, she was abused by her own father. Her whole life, molested, he died in prison. I never even laid eyes on the man. I remember her having hundreds of scars all up and down her arms, but I didn't understand what they was. I didn't understand what they was from. There was so much pain in my family, so much brokenness in my family, screaming, yelling, cussing, fighting, hatred on a daily basis until I got put into foster care, and then I'm bouncing and running the line. I didn't know what family was. I didn't have one member of my family in my wedding. Matter of fact, Clay was in my wedding. Jeremy was in my wedding. John Finley was in my wedding. But I still have no excuses because God has given me a family. I have no excuses because I have the best father that's ever been. I have the best father that's ever been. So sometimes I want to, you know, throw some excuses out. Well, yeah, you know, I just, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, the scripture says that he has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. 
It doesn't matter what we've been through. It doesn't matter where we've been. How bad it was, how deep it was. His grace is sufficient. And He's given us all things pertaining to this life, to our families. To be everything that we need to be as a husband and a father. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that. You know, and I, and I look into the scripture and I see the priority of family in the New Testament because in 1 Timothy 3, uh, there's, there's this title in it called The Qualification of Overseers. And if you go through it, it's talking about bishops and deacons and different things. But the, one of the things that hits me about the qualifications is the number one qualifications as you're going through it is this, these dudes' families. The number one thing. Even the number one thing it says, it says that it says that bishops must be blameless. I'm like, yeah, but you know, the first thing it says after that, a husband. I'm like, well, I understand. <laughs> bishops must be blaming a husband and one wife, and it goes on to talk about the deacons and about how their children should submit to them. And how because, because, 1 Timothy 3 5, for if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? You know, sometimes when I'm speaking and I'm traveling and I'm around these guys at Chad's Hope and, you know, I'm, I'm young and I'm, I'm an executive director there and I'm, I'm an authority there, I'm a boss there and these things and they see these things and, and sometimes they think it's a big deal, but I'm going to be honest with you, those things don't matter to me. At the end of the day, I know the closest people in my life and their judgment on my life and how I'm doing inside my home and my family, that's what matters to me. That's the most important thing to me. Because I could be out there killing it in other realms and doing other things. But these people know who I am. They live with me. They know me. Everything. And when I go home and I got a thumbs up at my house, man, that's the greatest thumbs up you could ever give me in my life. Ever. Period. And it's not easy. It's not easy. God is looking for a family man to represent his kingdom to the world. God is looking for a family man to represent his kingdom to the world. You know, for all existence, everything that's ever been created in all existence, you know what it's tied to? It's tied to a relationship between a father and a son. Family is so powerful when it comes to the gospel you know I this this year actually this past year I went to Uganda um, you know I was I experienced some things up there and I and and it's crazy because usually every year around January I'll be seeking God for a word I, I want a scripture from the Lord and I'll put a scripture in my journal and say this is the word well this year I didn't do that and, and the crazy thing is God has never spoke to me so clear or given me a word so strong as he ever has until this year. And I wasn't even looking for it. And he just showed up and was like, hey, remember you're supposed to do this? Well, this is what I want to give you. And, um, you know, what, what, he, what he showed me was really just the impact of, of a fatherless generation that we have in our world. And I'm going to be honest with you. I think one of the main things that's not in the politics, that's not in the things, and I'm thankful for, for I'm thankful for good, healthy laws and, and 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 the freedoms and the privileges that I have and the rights that I have as a citizen. But one of the most important things to me is is a generation of family, because if it wasn't for the lack of fathers, if it wasn't for 
the authority of the homes being crumbled and divided and not being able to stand. Like, I honestly feel like I wouldn't have to see as much as I see when I'm going to these schools speaking, when I'm hearing their stories, when I'm at Chad's home. Don't get me wrong, sin's going to be sin, but God gave me a word this year, and it was in Malachi, and I thought it was one of the most powerful things because, listen, this is the thing about, uh, even when I say spiritual father, Donald Sims, he was the best, he was the best man of my wedding. He was standing right next to me. He's a, he's a spiritual father in my life. He, he's, like a, he's a father to me. I look to him as my own dad. He's very important to my life. And, and it's crazy how involved I've been in, with Donald, and I've been into seminars, and I, I've been to different things, but I've never seen this word in Scripture and the influence that it has on the gospel. But I, I want to I share it with you. It's in Malachi 4, 5 through 6, and it says, Behold, I want you to understand, this word right here is the last word that God speaks for like a thousand years. God speaks this word in the Old Testament, and you don't hear from him for thousands of years until the New Testament kicks in. So, so this is the last word that he spoke. Listen, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Okay, thousands of years go by, the Lord shows up, an angel shows up, and this is what he says in Luke chapter 1. Listen, verse 17, it says, talking about John the Baptist. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the father to their children and the disobedient to wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So literally a heart of a father, the, 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 the relationship of family is honestly the centerpiece in the preparation for the gospel. It's the centerpiece in preparation. It's what literally made way for the presence of Jesus Christ to show up. And they took Elijah out of the Old Testament. And to be honest with you, if you read Elijah's story, he's one of the greatest examples of, of spiritual father, of somebody fathering other people, raising up Elisha, pouring out on him, leaving behind an inheritance, showing him things, having this father heart. He plucks them up out of the Old Testament, brings them into the New Testament, and literally the Word of God is saying that it's about this spirit of adoption, this spirit of fatherhood and sonship that's inside of him, this family I'm coming back for. This is my bride. And then Jesus shows up on the scene with the path that was paved through the spirit of family. I just thought that was so amazing to me. Whenever God began to show that to me. So look, I, I, want, I want to go ahead and move on. But the second thing, and this is, this is really strong, is words. Is words. Whoever owns the mouth owns the heart. Whoever owns the mouth owns the heart. You know, words are, words are not supposed to be cheap or common. And the sad thing is, you know how many times I've heard that statement? Words are cheap. Words are cheap. Words are not supposed to be cheap. Words are holy to God. And, and we'll look at it in Scripture. Proverbs 18, 21, it says this, The tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat of its fruit 
I have not seen anywhere else in all of Scripture where it said, my hands have power, my mind have power, my eyes have power, my big toe has power. I have not seen anywhere else in all of Scripture that any part of my body has power. But your tongue, your words, have power. Power to life and power to death. And when we talk about power to life, listen, we, we break chains with our words. We break chains with our words. The Bible says in James 5, 7 things, what does it say? Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that what? So that healing will happen. So healing is confessed. Forgiveness is released. It sets us free from our prison with our words. Blessings are spoken. Faith is proclaimed. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And salvation is received. Romans 10.9 says, if you, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth, your words that you profess and your faith that you are saved. Listen, words are powerful. Amen. They're powerful. And what I've understood and what God's have been showing me in my life is I need to guard my words. I need to guard my words because, you know, when I'm reading in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant and I'm seeing the heads of the family and the father when the time comes on sit down with his children and speak a blessing over them, that blows my mind. You know, I want to do that one day. But I know if I have the faith and trust that I need in my words that when I speak that power is in them, I have to guard them. I have to protect them. I have to honor my words and I have to stand by them to build that power up in them and that faith up in them that know when I speak, that power is coming out. When I pray, it's not by the power of my words, but I'm believing that God is going to honor my words and power is being released through my faith in Him as I'm speaking words that are coming out of my mouth because words and the tongue hold power unto life. Life-giving power. And they also, they can also hold power unto death. And when we see in Matthew chapter 12, verse 31 through 37, it says, Therefore I say to you that every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven a man. But blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven man. For anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven to him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, neither in this age or in the age of the come. Either make a tree good and its fruit good, or else make a tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. He said, Brood of vipers, how can you be an evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man, out of the good treasures of his heart, bring forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasures, bring forth evil things. But I say to you that every idle word that man have spoken, they will give an account for in the day of judgment. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. You know, this is what I'm trying to say. When I'm talking about distinguishing, I mean my words should have reverence to them. I shouldn't just 
I shouldn't just be so easily to allow whatever just comes in to come out. My words should have reverence to them. I should be distinguishing my words before God and putting reverence into the things that I'm speaking, into the things that I'm saying. Because there's power in them. You know, that brings fear to my heart, to be honest with you. Words should be holy and reserved because of the power that they hold. You know, that's why James, the, the first piece of wisdom when guys come into the ministry at Chad's Hope and they ask me for any advice, the first piece of wisdom the, always that I give them is, James, be, be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to anger. Be slow to speak. You know, Revelation 12, 11, everybody loves this verse. I love this verse too. It says, And they overcame by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives unto death. Listen, we have, a, we have a priestly obligation to testify, to worship, to pray. There's an obligation there. And, and, and the enemy, what he wants to do is shut your mouth when it comes to testifying. He wants to shut your mouth when it comes to praying. He does it to me all the time. My words are powerful. Sometimes I go home, I'm tired, and I'll be with my family in my little living room on my knees, and I'll feel real good about myself that I'm setting a good example in front of my kids, and all of a sudden two weeks will go by, and I haven't been on my knees one time in front of them. He's always trying to get me to shut my mouth. i tell you what he did. He tricked me. I was, I was sharing my testimony everywhere, and this thing happened that I didn't like it, that people started to promote my story like it was something. It made me sick. I didn't like it. Oh, you have such of a well. Wait until you hear this dude's testimony. It's power. I didn't like that. What are you talking about? Well, what's your testimony? I was cleaned by the blood of Jesus. What's yours? That's my testimony. I don't have some great and wonderful thing that I did. My testimony is Jesus Christ cleansed me and gave his life and his salvation for my healing and my blood. But the enemy used that, that I didn't like that, and he began to cause me not to share my testimony ever. I didn't want to share my testimony. But then something happened in my life where I began to feel weak, I began to feel messed up. I be we should be sharing our testimony. And now I'll make it a point that when I share in front of the guys, I'm like, listen guys, this is the testimony. I want you to listen to me. It's not about me. It's not about how messed up I was. It's not about all the evil and wicked things that, that Satan had to pray to my life about. It was, I was lost and separated with God without any peace or fulfillment in my heart. And the blood of Jesus and the mercy of God showed up in my life and set me free. The word of our testimony empowers us. It literally encourages us to move forward. I remember being at Chad's Hope and when they would allow us to share up on stage or we would go to church service, we'd share testimonies. And man, I'm telling you, anytime and every time they would ask who wants to give a testimony, I didn't care if I gave it 15 times in a row. I wanted to give it some more. Because it done something for me. It strengthened me. It empowered me. It moved me forward. It gave me accountability to the people that are around me that, yes, I'm a Christian. I know that I'm a mess. These guys know that I'm a mess. But it doesn't matter. I'm not stopping and I'm moving forward and I'm going to continue to glorify God. Amen. Period. Yeah. Our testimonies are powerful 
and important. And if you're not careful, the enemy will always try to, to get you to close your mouth. My nephews came in to visit me probably three months ago, and we were at a church service, and I looked at them, and they're only 15, 16 years old. They look up to me, though, and I, and I, I came over to them, and I'm like, hey, you want to get up on, on stage and share your testimony? And they're all like, ah, yeah, I'm saying, ah. <laughs> I'm like, look, it's cool. It's good. And I, and I walked off, and I came back to my nephew a few minutes later. I said, look. I said, I'm not condemning you whatsoever. I want to encourage you in the Lord, but I want, to, I want to give you a piece of advice as your uncle, and I love you, and I want to tell you something. Don't ever. It doesn't matter how scared you are. It doesn't matter how comfortable you are. It doesn't matter that you don't feel like you can speak good. Nothing. Don't ever pass up an opportunity to share your testimony. You've got to start somewhere. You've got to get better somewhere. And when I said that to him, that boy got up on stage, son. He did great. He did great. And I want to encourage you guys with that. Don't, don't ever pass up an opportunity to share your testimony. And it's going to happen. And don't be condemned, you know, if we... If we but I always try to grasp those opportunities because you've got to start somewhere. If you don't feel like you're... You've got to start somewhere. Amen? Amen. Bible says the tongue sets the course of our life on fire. You know, I want, I want worship. I want prayer. I want the Word of God. I want the testimonies of God to set the course of my life on fire. That's what I want. That's what I want. And you, and you, gotta, you know, you got to be careful because, you, listen, somebody get around you and hang out long enough, they're going to find out who you are by your words. That's why I said whoever, whoever owns your words owns your hearts because the Bible says it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the heart. You've got to be careful what you're going to college for is what I tell kids when I travel and speak, what, what we train ourselves for. I tell them this, that the most, powerful, the most powerful people in your life, it's not your daddy, it's not your mommy, it's not your teachers. It's the people that you willingly choose. It's the, it's the YouTube videos I watch. It's those dudes killing those deers. It's the people that I come into my home. It's the music that I put into my ears. It's the people that I willingly choose to, to be in conversation with in my life. Those are the most important and, and powerful people in my life because that's what I'm going to college for. That's what I'm choosing to influence me and impact me. And their words are hitting here. I don't have to be around them. I'm choosing to be around them. I'm feeding myself on it. And I have to guard my heart and I have to be careful. But the last thing is this. Number three, people. People. Without love, it profits nothing. I cannot tell you what a common thing it is to drive down this street in Manchester and to look at somebody that's walking down the side of the road and not see anything but somebody that's chose every single day to stick a needle in their arm and have no sympathy whatsoever for them. How easy it is to drive down the street and to see a homeless person with the sign up knowing that there is millions of jobs available and just look at somebody and think, God's had to really do a work in my heart. And listen, I even came from that background. And I struggle with it sometimes. That this is a man created in the image of God. That this is a woman created in the image of God. That has no idea their purpose, their value, 
their life. I was a mess coming out of prison. A 65-year-old man. A 65-year-old man showed up at my house and asked me if I wanted to go mow the grass with him. I lived in the hood. He showed up at my house. I went and mowed grass with him, and guess what? I seen Jesus in him. Changed my life. Sometimes I forget. Sometimes I forget. I want to love people. And not only do I want to love people, my prayer, my prayer is this. God, give me a burden. God, give me, give me a burden for the lost. Because I'm going to be honest with you, it is so easy for me to live my comfortable American life. Easy. To live my comfortable, everyday American life and have no burden inside of me whatsoever for the lost. Because I'm busy. And I got things to do. I went weeks without even saying prayers for my, for my family that are lost. For my dad that was lost. You know, I had to, I, God began to deal with my heart and I began to pray for him again. You know what happened? I thought, man, he had so many chances. You know, I prayed for him for, for years. He finally showed up to Chad's Hope. He's been high, shooting up, living streets. I've seen him my whole life. And it's hard to believe for your own family. It's easy to believe for somebody you don't know. Well, God can move, brother. But when it's your dad, when it's your son that you've lived with for years that stole off of you, that's treated you like garbage, and you come to start to believe this little lie creeping in, well, they ain't never going to change. It's hard to believe and have faith and when you pray to say, God, I know that you're bigger. And God moved in my dad's life. And listen, he came to Chad's Hope. First time I ever had a relationship with my dad and been experienced with him. And guess what he did? He went back to the streets again. I couldn't believe it. But I still kept praying for him. I had to move through that hardness of my heart. And guess what? God moved again and he came back to Chateau again a second time. And you know what he did? He went back to the streets again. And I was done. I hadn't prayed in weeks, but God began to move in my heart. That my dad is lost and he's still alive. He's still alive. And if he's still alive, that means there's hope. So I had to begin to pray, and I started praying. I started confessing to my wife and some people around me that I'm dealing with some things with my father and pray for me and pray for him that he's laughing. And God moved again. He's in North Carolina right now in a discipleship ministry. He's going to be there for a year, and I'm believing God. I'm believing God. And guess what? If he leaves, I'm still going to believe God because he's bigger. He's able. Paul says this in, in Romans 9, 1 through 3. He said, I, I feel unworthy even reading this. I tell you the truth in Christ that I am not lying. My conscience also bearing witness, my conscience also bearing witness with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow, continual grief in my heart. For I wish that I myself were accursed 
and cut off for Christ for my brethren and my countrymen according to the flesh. I've never experienced that. I've never had that in my heart. But I want it. But I want it. I want that burden, that continual grief inside of my heart for the loss of other people. I want Jesus to use me. You know what motivates me to, to impact other people? We were talking about it for service. You know what motivates me? It's not hell. It's not people are going to hell. You know what motivates me is those people don't know the Jesus that I don't. They don't know the love that I know. They don't have a father that I have. I want them to have it. I want them to know it. People are not common. They're created in His image. So my prayer today is that God would use the priestly responsibilities of the Holy Spirit with living inside of us to distinguish some things inside of ourselves, some, some things that need to be made holy. Some things that need to be switched around, some priorities. Because, man, it's easy to look at some priorities and just overlook it. But I'm telling you, when we get into the presence of God and we start allowing Him to reflect and to show, He'll help us. He'll help us to start moving, to start changing, to start taking steps. But first, we've got to take it and we've got to confess it to Him and say, God, this is holy unto you. I want it to be holy unto me, my family. My words and people. Sanctify these things in my heart, God. Let us pray together. Father, we love you, Lord. God, this is your time. This is, this is your words. God, this is your voice speaking to us. And Jesus... We ask, God, that you would do this work in our hearts, God, that you would allow us to distinguish the holy, the things that you consider holy in our lives, God, the things that we have made common in our lives, God. I, I pray, Jesus, that you would illuminate in our hearts the things that we need to carry to the altar, that you would illuminate in our hearts and our minds the things that need to be changed, the things that need to be submitted to you, Lord. God, we are so humbled, so grateful for all that you do for us, for all that you're doing for this body here in Manchester, Kentucky, for how you're equipping us, for how you're guarding up our hearts, for how you're equipping our minds. God, we're, we're grateful for what you're doing for this church, for this body. But I pray, God, my most earnest prayer, Father, is that you would put a burden inside of each of our hearts, God, for the lost, for those who don't know your love, for those who don't know your peace, for those who've never tasted of your freedom. God, I pray that you would put a burden in our hearts. Continual grief. Father, we love you so much and we're so grateful and so thankful in Jesus' name. Amen.